Welcome back to season two of Gold Ribbon Conversations, the podcast created to support families fighting childhood cancer in Ireland. Six children, adolescents and young adults are diagnosed with cancer every week in Ireland and the Gold Ribbon, which illuminates precious light, love, courage and compassion, is a symbol of strength and solidarity for each and every one. My name is Sinead O'Moore and it is my privilege to bring you this podcast on behalf of Childhood Cancer Ireland, a charity founded by and led by parents of children with cancer and survivors who know that one of the greatest sources of strength for this fight is conversation. Throughout this podcast, I talk to families impacted by childhood cancer, as well as the experts who care for our children's health, education and happiness. Yes, we talk about the fear and the pain, but we also talk about the hope and the friendship and the community that exists here, because you are not alone. Childhood Cancer Ireland values every single donation while on its mission to help more children, adolescents and young adults survive cancer and thrive as adults and support all those dealing with the long-term effects of illness and trauma. You can help by sharing this podcast and by texting GOLD to 50300 and donating €4 Euro or visit childhoodcancer.ie for more. For many, September means back to school, and for the children who are being cared for in Crumlin Hospital, they will be led by Our Lady's Hospital School Principal, Fergal McNamara. In this episode, we talk about why continuing a link to education is so important for children while they undergo care and treatment. Having a childhood continue allows patients to find comfort in the familiar. While homework and tests might not be so important right now, Fergal explains how not leaving education behind can give children so much hope for the future. Fergal, or do I call you Mr. McNamara? No, Fergal. Yeah, definitely Fergal. <laughs> Thank you for joining me on the podcast. In the first season that came out last summer, we had a very special episode talking specifically about play. And it resonated heavily with parents because we want this these gold ribbon conversations not just to be about illness or about cancer, but to be about actually how do we raise happy children who are going through something absolutely you know devastating in their lives but how do we protect their childhood along the way and education of course is such a foundation for that and that is exactly what you are doing in Crumlin. Yeah I suppose um, for us as a school we're a very different school Um, uh, we're located in a hospital and um, actually there's there's about seven hospital schools um, throughout Ireland um, of various sizes. We're uh, located in Crumlin. We've eight teachers who work here um, and they're split kind of between primary school teachers and post-primary school teachers. So what's a typical day in your in your school? I'm sure there are differences, um, but is it for the children that are staying long-term in the hospital? Yeah, so I suppose our service we target inpatients in the hospital primarily um, and so every morning the teachers come in we have to establish 
who's in the hospital, who's of school going age, and who is medically fit to receive um, kind of education that day. So I suppose in terms of being different from a normal school, our, our population of students is very different because it's constantly changing every day. Mm. And so we have to, the teachers have to adapt to that. We really don't know who's going to be there um, that needs our service from a day-to-day -day basis. So we target all the inpatients and then we pri prioritize based on how long students have been in or if they're recurring students, students with lifelong illnesses, with chronic illnesses. Um, so that's kind of how we go about our day. So all students who are inpatients would receive some sort of service from us, but the level of that service will change based on the priorities. And I assume the age. Um, well, I suppose every we provide an education to everyone from four to 18. And I suppose, yeah, the, the level of the service will just change based on age, but not in terms of um, not in terms of the time we'd allocate to them or, or, or the priority level per se. Um, it's just, I suppose, um, how academic the service is might change based on age. Yeah. I think, I suppose, I'm thinking specifically around junior in leave insert. It's that yeah. time of year as we record. I think they're just, they're just about finishing up. Um... Yeah, yeah. And we do um, provide the state exams here. Um, we normally... Uh, we had a quite enough year this year, and I think a lot of that is around changes to the provision of the leaving search, which allows people to um, defer their exams until uh, July if they're going through some form of crisis. Um, but we did give, uh, we had one student here this year who did their complete uh, leaving search with us, uh, and we had a few junior certs as well. But but prior to COVID, we would have always had about 10 students every year doing exams with us here, yeah. Tell me how and why it is so important to maintain that connection back to education and the connection back to what their peers are also going through. Yeah, well, I suppose one of the big things um, where for us when, when, when uh, children end up in here being hospitalized they're coming into a very alien environment um, they have to I suppose meet loads of new faces um, and a certain part of their identity or they have to assume a new role in their life which is the role of the patient and what we provide is that link back to their role as a student or pupil which would have been the most important role that they had prior to being diagnosed with an illness so if we think like children spend a huge amount of their time in school as a student or a pupil and it's a very significant part of their identity and so really way more than an academic concern is uh, ensuring that while pupils or while children are in hospital with us that they get to maintain that role as um, a student or a pupil, because it's very much wrapped up in their identity. And they're and so probably that, the routine of safety. Yeah, and also we provide, I suppose, one of the issues around transitioning out of um, 
being a patient and going back to some form of normal life is, I, I suppose, shedding that identity as being the patient, as being the sick child. So it's very important that they still have maintained that identity as a student or pupil throughout the, their treatment so that it's easy to slip back into that role and let that role then start to just take up more um become more important and more become, yeah and I suppose them. yeah become kind of re-establish itself as their main identity and, and I suppose that's done in a lot of ways one of the small ways is through engaging with our service but also it's very important to have connections back to the social side of their school um, so that's a very important thing to kind of maintain, to try and keep those social links back to the school, both with their peers and even with their um, teachers, like their primary school teacher or their year head or, or someone in the school. And confidence, because they don't feel like they're returning, not knowing something that everybody else does. Yes. Now, I suppose one of the tricky things, obviously, is that while they're ill, um, they're not going to be a hundred percent. Likewise, the service that we provide can never come close to replacing a full school day in their mainstream school. So our focus is more on maintaining the engagement with education rather than replacing the academic work um, with the school. And that is that's much more important in terms of re-engaging than trying to trying to keep up with the academics is in some ways an unachievable goal and mm. therefore you're setting yourself up to fail because you also have to acknowledge that you're not 100 percent you're not performing at the ability level that um that you would have if you weren't ill and so that needs to be taken into consideration so really we focus much more on engagement and trying to provide kind of positive learning experiences while they're here with us just to maintain that I suppose positive outlook on education mm. um more so you're than having a checklist of work that they can't possibly complete you know you're not piling the pressure on to to, to sit the, the the tests every week but it's you're so right like you to to deliver it the service with a degree of you know compassion and empathy and it not be about you know school school for some children you know has a, there's a trepidation there around performance being the goal yeah um whereas in this instance as you said it's around the the connection to the identity of I am still a child and a child goes to school yeah and and I suppose that's a big part of it and and I suppose in an alien environment such as this we provide that recognizable character so while the majority of the day they're trying to learn how to establish a relationship with nurses with doctors with medical staff when we come into the room it's um it's a relationship that they know how to work and how to operate within so the the kind of teacher pupil relationship is one that's familiar and it provides that kind of break from the medical thing during the day you know and um yeah so i think that's important i think also a, a big thing about 
maintaining that link to education is even just about hope building. Because, I mean, when families kind of enter these kind of crises, there can be reactions anywhere on the scale of, okay, school's on hold. We're waiting till you get better before we worry, even worry about that. All the way through to trying to maintain the same expectations that um, everything is going to continue as it as it does before. So I suppose if you went on the uh, on the range where you say, okay, we have to put school on hold. This is no longer a concern because health comes first. The problem with that is what you're actually saying is that you're educating yourself for the future is now not a concern. And the danger of that is that the, if, you, if you follow that through, it's because there might not be a future. Mm. So it's always very important that, um, like we always say that it, it's not a case of whether, um, you know, students engage with their service or don't engage with their service. It's about how much of our service can they engage with. So no matter how sick you are, the, there might be some level of engagement that um, you can have with us, even if it's just a short chat. We would consider that even if you're all you can do is have a short chat. You know, we try to see what can we offer today and we target it towards, you know, how, how the um, child's doing that particular day. But it's all about how much of the service can they engage with, even if it's at a very minimal level, rather than saying that they um, are medically fit to engage today or not medically fit, you know. It's a very different way to be a teacher. Yeah, it's a very different setting. And um, it's not for everything. Like, I mean, even from the teaching point of view, I mean, teachers usually spend their entire day just... Uh, with a class of children that they know and they are with that, that class every single day 90 something percent of their day is communicating with children and I suppose a known group of children whereas for the teachers here actually I'd say a huge proportion of their day is actually communicating with medical staff with parents with uh, teachers in mainstream schools and of course the children but it's They'd be children that they don't see every single day. They're in and out of hospital or they're here for a set period of time and then they're gone um, and then they might be back. So it's, it's quite a different um, setting for teachers. I'm sure you still build up those relationships. Yeah, and it's all about building relationships, really. Um, and again, it comes down to that pupil-teacher relationship. Um, and I suppose the teachers here are very adept at trying to slip into that relationship as quickly as possible with the student mm. um, and to start actually working quite quickly, you know, I mean, in terms of settling in periods, it's, you know, we try to get going as quick as, as possible, you know. And relationships, I'm sure, with the parents who, again, you talk about that role relationship, they're used to speaking to a teacher. They're not used to speaking to doctors. No. No, and I suppose it represents a part of their life that, you know, yeah, that they're very familiar with. Mm. And of course, as, as I was saying before, I mean, parents have all sorts of concerns. One nice thing is that um, we would often get to talk to parents every single day, you know, um, before we start a session, 
and at the end of a session. So there's, there is that relationship and it's much, I suppose, more intense than people would be normally used to because normally like, you know, it might be a parent teacher meeting and maybe one or two other times that you meet uh, your students or your child's uh, teacher. But we would normally have interactions with parents every single day, you know, which can be challenging for parents and teachers as well. But it's, it, it, I suppose it provides much more of a link to the family mm. than just to the child. Yeah. The Beads of Courage and Sibling Beads programmes were introduced and funded by Childhood Cancer Ireland to enable children to tell their story using bright, colourful beads as meaningful symbols of courage. Each bead represents a milestone along their unique treatment path. It's been proven to decrease stress, increase positive coping strategies and helps to deal with their diagnosis and treatment. Every donation helps. You can help by sharing this podcast and by texting GOLD to 50300 and donating €4 Euro, or visit childhoodcancer.ie for more. In the play episode, we talked about how when a child is back introduced to something that they are familiar with, they can sometimes process what's happening to them medically. You know, like through play, they were able to sort of communicate how they felt or if they were sad or if they were angry or if they were feeling something, they could articulate it through play. Do you see that when they're back in this education setting or even back amongst their peers away from you know, hospital setting and illness conversations. Do do they reclaim a little bit of part of play and who they are and personality and, you know, go back to being a child more? Yeah, well, I suppose to go back to, um, I should explain a little bit about our setting actually in terms of that, because we have a classroom um, that we operate within the... Uh, within the hospital. So children from the wards who are medically fit to attend the classroom will come down to a kind of two hour classroom session. So they will sit, it'll be a small classroom of up to 10 uh, students, but they do have that sitting at desks with peers and um, there's that option, that, that kind of opportunity to engage with peers, mm. again, in a setting that they're familiar with. Now. St. John's Ward um, obviously is a ward they, that isolation is a very important part, but we do operate a satellite classroom there that can take two, you can possibly have three students. And so whenever possible, if there are students close enough in age, they run the teachers who work in St. John's run um, like two or three student classrooms, which gives that opportunity then for um, kind of peer engagement, which is very important, especially in St. John's where, you know, everybody's in an individual room, um, which can be quite isolating, I suppose, you know. So having that one little opportunity to come down to the classroom and maybe be with another child from fifth or sixth class or whatever class they're in um, gives them that little bit of an opportunity for peer engagement, which is very important and peer support. And you do find, I suppose, in the classroom sessions that really the medical side is forgotten about because everybody's in for different reasons. And um, it's rare enough that people talk about 
that side of things they tend to talk about their base schools or what's it like what's their teacher like you know these kind of conversations and friendship you know school is where you meet your friends it's often yeah. for life yeah and yeah. i'm sure in this setting it's so important to feel connected to another child who can identify and be a companion for you in what you're going through you know not feel like you're the only child in ireland that's sick yeah yeah and that's important and even though you're in a huge kind of hospital when you're in your one bedroom on the ward it can feel you know like you're the only one there because you don't really witness anything else that's going on um for this like you might pass people on the corridor but um it's having that kind of normal uh, that that opportunity to have a little bit of a normal interaction and I think it's even more important to have being able to have it in a setting that's not related to uh, your illness, you know. Why is this the role for you instead of in a standard school that we all know? Why, what is compelling you to do this work? Um, yeah, I kind of just, uh, I fell into it. I, I suppose everybody, um, a lot of people aren't even aware that hospital schools exist. Mm -hmm. So people kind of happen upon it. I actually um, started working in this area. I lived in the States for about seven years and um, I happened across it there and I taught in New York in the hospital and home instruction school. Um, and the way they run it over there is that teachers teach in hospital, but they also then follow the child to their home recovery. Mm and teach the child all the way up until their first day back in mainstream school and they have the kind of population to be able to, to handle that and then when I moved home um, I was just lucky that the school here which previously only had primary school teachers was looking for a post-primary teacher and um, I think I must have been the only person with experience who went to the went to the interview and uh, that was in 2006 and I've been here ever since, and um, then <clears throat> I took over as principal in 2020. Um, but we don't but stay in jobs that we don't love. No, I mean, and I suppose it's just a cohort of children that I've become very, I suppose, interested in ensuring that, you know, there's a quality education for these kids because they, they can fall through the cracks. Um, especially I suppose children as well with lifelong illnesses who have short but ongoing absences from school um, because all that can add up and uh, yeah I think it's a, it's it's just something that became very important to me I suppose when you get involved with a certain area I mean when it's kids you're dealing with it's very easy to become kind of passionate about making sure that they get their education um, and I, I, I would say that if you if you talk to I suppose any teachers who get involved in kind of uh, the the more niche areas of education uh, they'll probably say the same thing you know like because we do get an opportunity here to I suppose to get a closer relationship with the family even though, because it's quite an intense environment and I suppose uh, it can be quite a fraught environment and 
families are quite stressed. And so especially being someone who is able to provide that bit of um, familiarity, like it's a relationship, as we said before, that parents and students understand. Um, so you, you are kind of quick to be able to get into quite a good, I suppose, relationship with that family. And so um, I suppose it's that aspect of it that um, sucks you in, you know. And after so many years, you'll have met many families along the way. Um, yeah. And of course, a lot of success stories. Yeah, yeah. We have loads of uh, loads of success stories. And actually, um, uh, like a number of our teachers here were would have been uh, students of hospital schools in the past and they kind of gravitate um, back to I suppose looking after that that aspect trying to give back what they they received and often um, we do um, have student teachers that work with us every year and again a certain percentage of them would always in their cover letters talk about how they had attended a hospital school during their youth and that it kind of stuck with them and now that they're getting into teaching they're interested in in I suppose coming at it from the other direction it makes sense you know yeah it was yeah. a lifeline for them in those moments and now they they feel like they want to give that back to those that are yeah. going through it at the yeah. moment. Like, I think that the work that teachers do, you know, in, in standardized schools is incredible work. And, you know, raising our children, not just through education, but through the relationship forming, behavioral forming, you know, kindness, empathy, you know, how to share, like, it's all these life skills. It's not just what's within the book. Um, and that's even more so for the children that are dealing with a trauma of a cancer diagnosis and also the trauma of being denied the childhood that they assumed they'd live. Yeah. Um, it's incredible work. And when you say, you know, not a lot of people know that there are hospital schools, I wouldn't have thought of it. I just, you know, mm. it's, 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 I'm annoyed at myself even for thinking of course, there are hospital schools. Of course, there are children who are in this care who need this connection back to education. Yeah. Um, but I suppose that it's a very natural reaction when someone is quite ill to tr nearly put everything else hmm. on hold. And often schools that we would talk to out in the community, they we'd contact them regularly to kind of get an idea of what kind of work um, they might be working on. Uh, while a student is in hospital you know so that we can obviously we can't completely replicate it mm. but we can use that as a guide as in what curricular areas we'll cover to, to try and match the base school and um, they would often the initial reaction is usually oh my god just let them get better mm. we are, we're not sending any work just let them get better and that um, and we have to I suppose then try and sell our our outlook on things um, to, to get some in. And I mean, I suppose where you see that working is when the families maintain a good connection with the base school. Um, with my post-primary kind of head on, we always used to, or I always used to, and we still, uh, the 
the post-primary teachers try and encourage the students themselves to maintain an academic or a link back to their teachers or their schools, because I think that's important um, when we try to develop independent learners that okay. they take a little bit of that um, connection. We, of course, connect with the schools as well for, for educational info, but it's, it's important to kind of maintain that, that connection. Another big thing we always try and do is, is um, say to parents to bring the school bag in. Yeah. You know, um, because working on your own uh, textbooks or using your own school bag, again, that gives that little psychological connection back to your school. Um, so that's one thing we do try to uh, to encourage, you know, when you're running out the door on your way into uh, into hospital to grab the school bag and bring it with you. you know? it's, it's all about, as you said, the hope and there is a future and this is just a moment in time and there is a lifelong learning ahead and you know that the school bag it's it's all these cues it's just it's all these cues as to what's normal and and what's regular and you know maintaining life yeah and not just taking it away from just 24 7 illness and about maintaining life Um, yeah and it's that non-verbal communication that you know even though this is happening, you know, your, your main kind of life story is still going on. This is just, you know, a little chapter of it, but you have to make sure to continue everything else, you know? Well done. 2006, is it? To to 2022. It's, it's a long service. um, And you've helped, no doubt, so many children along the way in those years. Um, I, you know, I think we all remember a teacher from our childhood that played an important role, um, whether helped us through some sort of challenge or change or helped us to become the people that we were supposed to become. Um, and no doubt you've done that for a lot of the children in Crumlin. So yeah. thank you for talking. Well, I, well, I suppose one of the things is that um, another thing that... <clears throat> is different about working in a hospital school is that we're very much a team here. You know, there's a team of teachers um, that go out, but they work really collaboratively to try and provide the best service. So rather than having, I just know from talking to them as well, that it's one of the challenges of moving into a hospital school Mm. is that traditionally teachers, you know, they have their classroom and they rule that realm. And um, whereas when you come here, we have a team of teachers that have to share kids, they have to share resources, you know, um, every little aspect of the teaching life is in some way shared with the other teachers. And it's a very different kind of way of working, but it's also means that we provide each other with huge levels of support to work in an environment like this, but definitely it's very much more so than in a normal school. It's very much a team effort here. Which is needed, you yeah, know, yeah. And, yeah. and and we, we, we heard that, you know, when we talked to, to Dr. Sarah Curry about how the oncologists work together, you know, and we talk and the parents as well, it's all a team effort. They network together to support each other 
Um, and that's the purpose of this podcast as well, is to share individual stories, but mm. hopefully to create a community of support where nobody feels like they have to do this alone. Yeah. Um, and I suppose another, I suppose, important point for us in particular with the service on uh, St. John's is that as a school, we're a third party organisation. We actually operate within the school, within the hospital, but we're not of the hospital we're not hospital employees we work for the department of education but st john's is one of those wards that really has included teachers you know in their mdt meetings from quite an um an early stage from before i started working here there was a they i suppose always included education as an important part of the treatment and recovery of students and that's it sounds very reasonable but like um or it's it, but it's not the case with all um medical teams st john's in particular have always been very good it's why we have a satellite classroom on the ward and um, we don't have satellite classrooms on any other ward in the hospital and that really shows i suppose the commitment and recognition of education as being part of the treatment recovery and well-being of the children um, that that are on St John's. Would you like to see it rolled across others? Yeah, well, in the new children's hospital that's due to open, we have um, three three wards with satellite classrooms, and in fact, the hematology oncology ward has two classrooms. So again, still they're still leading the way, but. Um, so with the new children's hospital, there's going to be more satellite classrooms, more opportunities to, to run classrooms on wards. So yeah, it's going to be great. Is there any way of the children staying connected over the summer or does it run like a traditional school in that yeah, so, June there's a hard finish? Yeah, so we've, because we're a Department of Education school, we do close, um, we run the primary school calendar. Hmm. So from a post-primary perspective, there is a service in June, which wouldn't be happening out of the post-primaries, but um, we do close for the two months. But um, last year, we were able to run uh, summer camps under the Department of Education, and we're doing the same this year. So there's two weeks in the summer that we run a summer camp for inpatients. And we kind of try to pick, you know, I suppose more fun but still educational activities to do during those during those times um so it'll be all kind of science kits and um things like that but I suppose another part of our one of our big mantras for teaching all around all year round is that we try to make all our lessons to be high interest but low energy hmm. because obviously students are not operating at 100 percent and also engagement and motivation is a is a challenge you know there's huge amounts of distraction in the yeah. hospital and when you're you know yourself when you're not feeling well you're not able to give your full attention so we do try to have a real concentration on high interest activities but that require kind of low energy to participate i'm thrilled to know that this exists and I'm hopeful that any parent that's listening to this who is beginning this journey can gain some confidence from listening to the work that you do and the team does. Um, 
in the hope that they can obviously maintain that connection with education and bring that little bit of normal, just just a little bit of normal back into their day. Yeah. Um, thank you for your time and thank you for everything that you're doing. Best of luck with the summer camps. No and reason, thank you. Another, se- another season in September. Yeah, thanks million. Thank you for listening to this Gold Ribbon Conversation. There are more Gold Ribbon stories written by those fighting childhood cancer on our website, childhoodcancer.ie, and you'll find a link in our show notes. If you can, we would love you to share this podcast across social media using hashtag Gold Ribbon Conversations as it can help more families to discover this show. This podcast was produced by The Brand Story for Childhood Cancer Ireland, hosted by Sinead O'Moore and sound production by Alan Breslin.